First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes and he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Verse 14. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Amen. Now turn in your Bible a page to the right, maybe two pages at the most, and I want us to read together verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Ready? Let's read it together. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Lord, what a delight to land on this subject of your return. And as we consider uh, the truth that Paul gives us, as his pen was put to paper and the author being the Holy Spirit, we know that you are in our midst even now working. And we ask that by your grace, you would find us hearing what the Spirit has to say to the church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please be seated. <clears throat> we begin our study uh, this morning in uh, the book of Second Thessalonians. And I've put a small uh, leading outline up for us today, uh, a reason for the two letters. Because oftentimes when we, we find a, a second letter in the New Testament, uh, there's a purpose that uh, Paul wrote a second epistle to the Thessalonians. And we find that 2 Thessalonians was actually written very shortly after 1 Thessalonians. Uh, calculated similarly in 51 AD, we, we know that what took place was that the converts there in Thessalonica had begun to be troubled, as we read in verse 2 of chapter 2, they had begun to be troubled and disturbed about the coming of the day of the Lord. Commentators agree 
that somehow the information that disturbed them and troubled them came their way either by uh, a forged letter, someone forging Paul's message, or even false teaching, endeavoring to lead the believers there in Thessalonica to come to the conclusion that the day of the Lord had already come. Now, they were familiar with that phrase. When Paul was there, of course, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have this precious thing that you and I hold. Paul would have related to them about the person and the work of Jesus Christ solely on the prophecies from the Old Testament. And enough prophecy in the Old Testament spoke uh, widely about the coming of the day of the Lord. I'll share a few with you if you're taking notes. Isaiah 2.12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Ezekiel 30, verse 3, For the day of the Lord is near, even the day of the Lord is near. And it will be a day of clouds and a time of the Gentiles. Zephaniah 1.14, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter, and there the mighty men shall cry out. Of course, the prophet Joel, so familiar and more than likely reinforced when Paul was there in Thessalonica. Joel 1.15, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Joel 2, verse 30, and, it, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, Joel 2, verse 32, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance. Yes, they were very familiar with the concept of the day of the Lord, with the reality that the day of the Lord was coming. But somehow, we're not certain, but somehow they had begun to become confused even to the degree that they were shaken, that perhaps they had missed that day. And so the purpose of this letter is to set that straight, to help the Thessalonican, more importantly, the Christian in Thessalonica, be clear about that day its coming, and its effect upon mankind and the earth. Whereas 1 Thessalonians somewhat focuses on the translation of the church, 2 Thessalonians focus, focuses upon the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and what takes place on the earth. So 
If you would, back up with me now to verse 1 of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, where we read, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is really interesting is if you compare uh, verses 1 and 2 in both letters, they, they are identical. They begin to change a little bit in verse 3, <clears throat> but you can hear the, the same tone, the same heart, the same uh, penmanship of the Apostle Paul and of his partners, Silvanus, who also is known as what? Silas. Silas was in jail with Paul in the Philippian jail. Timothy, a trusted brother and co-laborer with Paul. Paul often looked at Timothy as a son in the faith. Trusted. Um, Silas was there in Thessalonica or Silvanus when Paul first went. And so writing this second letter, they would be familiar Individuals, They would be uh, familiar people. Timothy, of course, had uh, been sent previously there with the first letter. And Paul's classic greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3 that we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. What a powerful verse. What a powerful testimony of these Christians in the city of Thessalonica. <clears throat> Paul makes mention of his thanks to God. Paul had a sense of obligation to continually thank God for what God was doing in the life, the hearts, the minds, the comprise of the people there in Thessalonica. He was transforming their lives and the testimony that had come to him, he's writing again under uh, a very small reference frame of, of what was happening in Thessalonica because he was there a short time. We read in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul was in Thessalonica only about three weeks, and then he had to leave. And as time goes on, and he gets... Uh, report of what God is doing in the Christians in Thessalonica, Paul begins to become beside himself. And he, in his first letter, he thanks God for them. And in, here in the second letter, he again affirms to them <clears throat> that their faith is growing and that their love for one another continues to be their testimony. Remember, 
Only three weeks. I ask you a question this morning. Have you ever had three weeks with someone to seek or try to share the gospel with them, convince them of their need for Jesus Christ as their Savior, and to let them know or impart to them the glorious truth of what will happen if they will receive Christ? Have you had three weeks to do that? You've probably, if you're anything like you, me, you may have had three years or 30 years to do that with someone. And yet Paul, in three weeks, three times in the synagogues, and then away he goes. And as time goes on, he's certainly wondering, but then he gets this report. It will always amaze you And perhaps this has happened in your life when you shared with someone and you don't don't recall it being necessarily a a long sharing. You don't recall necessarily it it, uh, changing that person's life right when you shared. But then this uh, length of time goes and all of a sudden you hear from that individual. Such is the case uh, with me this morning as I stand before you, I was so blessed yesterday. Uh, the flowers that we have in front of us here and in the foyer are a gift to the fellowship from uh, the Ortiz family. And yesterday we had a celebration of life for Al Ortiz, who passed away on November 4th. And uh, the family, because of various reasons, was unable to navigate to a celebration of life until yesterday. And so yesterday, Sherry and I went down to San Jose and spent time with the Ortiz family. Uh, Al, Albert Ortiz, and his wife Ida used to, well, they first came when we were back in the school. And uh, they would sit in the back. And Al passed away, unfortunately, because of Alzheimer's. It was a long, arduous seven-year process, the last year being extremely difficult on the family. His daughters, Connie and Darlene, mostly stepped in to help take care of Dad, especially in his last year, leaving their jobs to assist Mom. Uh, and his son, Sonny. Now, why that's important to us this morning, maybe you recall Al and Ida, maybe you don't. Um, Ida and Cheryl Lloyd are very good friends. A lot of you may know Cheryl Lloyd. As I listen to the testimony of this man and his impact on his daughters and his son on his grandchildren and nieces and nephews, I was like blown away. This man left a mark, a godly mark. After the celebration of life, we of course adjourned and went nearby to a restaurant to have a meal. Before we left, Sonny said, I have something I want to share with you, Pastor Art. Will you come here? 
drew me aside and sat me down. He said, you might not remember this, but my dad knew I was struggling. He, he wrestled with uh, methamphetamine, alcohol. He was bound. And Al, his father, Sonny's dad, had come and listened to many services in the school and, and heard my testimony of God saving me from that lifestyle and, and you know, cleaning me up and setting me right and putting my, my path on the, the, the road to heaven and, and how God can do that in any life. And so uh, Al spoke to his son, Sonny, one day when he, he, Sonny just kept kind of in and out of uh, trouble and DUIs and that sort of thing. And one, this is what Sonny told me yesterday. His dad sat me down and he said, son, you've got to do something with your life. And his son said, well, okay, dad, but I'm not sure what to do. And, and he said, well, why don't you call Pastor Art? And Sonny looked at me and said, do you remember that call? And I'm going... The files, you know. I mean, how many calls do I get from someone that says, I need God's help? It's like, okay, let me, I'm just a signpost, you know. I can't do anything except point you to the one who will save you and change you and fill you. He said, Do you remember that calling? Vaguely, and, and I did vaguely. And he says, well, I, I told you what I was going through and, and all that had happened in my life and, and asked you, what should I do? And, and I remember clearly that in every phone call, in every situation, I begin with, God has a plan for your life. I continue with, his son, Jesus Christ, died to take the penalty of your sin. And if you will confess him as Savior and invite him in and take over, and if you're watching at home, if you're here and you've never done that, that's what God is saying this morning. If you invite him in, he will save you, change you, redeem you, and catapult you into life brand new. Sometimes God uses variety of stepping stones to, to get a person that's so um, confused or inoculated, if you will, that they can't quite hear the truth. God will use systems. He will use uh, jail. He will use families. He will use uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. He will use Narcotics Anonymous. He will use a variety of systems to get someone to a point. And so in that conversation, 16 years ago, I must have said after pointing him to Christ that why don't you check into some program? Try AA. Try NA. Me, I was fortunate. Uh, I didn't have to do 12 steps. I did one. God reached in and delivered, took the desire. But I don't disregard those systems by which they can move someone to a place of faith. And, and this is what Sonny said. He said, you said, do that. And I did. 
And my life began to change as I drew close to God. And I have 16 years of sobriety, and I have taken the message of hope into the prisons, into hospitals, and into all kinds of places. I was like, really? Should I be shocked, you know? And this is the kind of thing that Paul is going through. He's like, I was only with those guys three weeks, and look what God is doing in their lives. Do not discount every moment that you share with someone. Do not discount the words that you breathe into their spirit for one day. They may find themselves taking hold. You may be totally unaware of it until a long period of time goes and they reconnect with you and let you know what God has done. Bound to give thanks always for you, brethren, because your faith grows exceedingly and your love of everyone, love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. God had changed the lives of many of those in Thessalonica. And Paul goes on to say in verse 4 that so, so much that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecution and tribulations that you endure. So much so was uh, there a visible, tangible work of God going on in uh, the Thessalonians that Paul would boast about it to other churches. But what he was boasting about is not himself, but about their ability to grab hold of patience and faith in the midst of persecution and tribulation. Notice that. In all your persecutions and tribulations. We have here a clear record of strong believers that are faithful, growing in their faith, and yet right in the midst of hard, right in the midst of difficult, hard times. I've put the acronym PT on it. Persecutions and tribulations. And you, you may not care to do this, but I, I will do this just briefly with us, is that as you read something like this, one has to um, logically confront the error of health and wealth prosperity gospel message. The health and wealth and prosperity gospel message says that if you just have enough faith, if you just pray the right way, if you say the words the right way and believe that you'll be healthy, wealthy. When it's so in conflict with the picture that we see in the New Testament of Christians. It's important to have a right view of 
of persecutions and tribulations, we read in the book of 1 Peter that Peter said, in 1 Peter 1.6, he said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter puts it so succinctly, affirming what Paul is writing to us about, about the Thessalonian believers, that, and this isn't, you know, new to many of us, I'm sure, this morning, but that hardship, trial, persecution, and tribulations are what we sign up for when we say, God, my life is yours. Jesus, I believe in you. Will you come in and take over? I'm here to follow you. We sang it earlier, didn't we? I will stand upon your truth. All my days, I'll live for you. You, If you have ever said that, guess who was listening? His name is God. In the person of Jesus Christ and in the work of the Holy Spirit, when we say, Lord, I'm yours. I want to follow you all the days of my life. He says, Wonderful, my child, I love you. And and now let me mature you and grow you so that you can share with a lost and dying world the truth of what happens when I invade a life. In other words, it's impossible to grow in faith without hardship and trial. Impossible. And that the purpose of hardship and trial is to, as Peter put it, that the the, uh, genuineness of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. We've shared it before and we will share it again because it is so gloriously true. The furnace for gold and fire for silver, but the Lord tests the hearts. Oarsmen that would take ore from the earth in order to get pure gold or pure silver, they must put that ore under heat. And as the heat is turned on, what happens is that the The other elements that are surrounding that ore, called the dross, rise to the top and and the jeweler or the oarsman will take a a utensil and scoop off the dross off the top. And then they will turn the heat up to another higher temperature and degree because it has to be done in degrees, otherwise you ruin the metal. It has to be done in specific temperature risings. And at each rising of each temperature, more dross is filtered through the mineral, the ore, the the gold, the silver, and it comes to the top and the, the jeweler will take it off the top, continue hotter, pull the dross, hotter, 
pull the dross until at one point it is said that the oarsman can, the, the metal is so pure that the oarsman can see their reflection in the liquid. And that's what Jesus is after in me and in you. He will turn up the furnace of hardship and trial in each of our lives with a specific goal. He wants to see more of himself in you and I. And there's no other way. We're told that we are to embrace those hardships. We are reminded that this body of believers that was so growing in their faith was not, was subject to persecution and tribulation. And Paul gives a reason. Uh, he gives a, not a conclusion, but a, a further explanation in verse 5 of these persecutions and tribulations. Notice, he says, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Interesting um, and profound, really. Paul was equating persecution and tribulation in the life of the believers there at Thessalonica and then therefore by way of the Holy Spirit because the eternal word of God is true then and today for you and I equating persecution for your faith tribulation, hardship in life as the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Listen to this. David Guzik writes, We usually think that God is absent when we suffer and that our suffering calls God's righteous judgment into question. You've probably heard it said before by others or maybe you even in your own life at one time said something like, How can a loving God allow such devastation, such pain, such hardship. David goes on to say, Paul took the exact opposite position and insisted that the Thessalonian sufferings was the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Where suffering is coupled with righteous endurance, God's work is done. The fires of persecution and tribulation were like the purifying fires of a refiner, burning away the dross from the gold and bringing forth pure and precious metal. I don't know what you walked into these doors with today, 
but I will assume that there is something hard going on in your lives. What is it? What is it that is challenging you right now, breaking your heart, perhaps even causing struggle and question? Remember that God has not left you alone. His eye is upon you and me. He is near to the brokenhearted, close to those of a contrite and broken spirit. Notice verse 6, which uh, is further interesting since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and I, stopping on that verse interesting uh, someone else writes not Guzik but another commentator often retribution is pictured as overtaking men in the world to come but there are not wanting well, in other words, there are a plethora of passages which indicate that it may operate also in the here and now. In other words, consequence for unbelief, consequence for a rejection of truth in our lives, consequence, rather, for disobedience. We know what took place uh, in Paul's letter to the Romans, remember Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God, uh, Romans 1.26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions for their own uh, women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Uh, Romans 1.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. No. God has put into the mechanism of, of human society that when truth, the truth of God is revealed, if it is understood and rejected, there is consequence. He says in verse 7, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And that struck me, struck me uh, strongly this morning in preparation that, that yes, God has put into the mechanism of human society uh, a consequence in human life, when his truth is declared, heard, understood, but rejected, and whether that's you know a one-time thing or an ongoing thing in, in someone's life, that there's a consequence in that. That person, that individual's life is impacted negatively. I know for me, I didn't rededicate my life till I was 27 years old. And though I had heard the gospel at age 15, 
responded in faith and said to that Bible teacher on that Friday night at an open fire in the Sierras, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I ask him to forgive me of my sin and to become my Savior. I didn't walk in that truth for many, many years. And the consequence of my choice to not walk in that truth for those years, 12, 13 almost, was devastating. By God's grace, And he wants to give you and I rest. You see that there in verse 7? That's as far as we're going to get this morning. He says, and to give you who are troubled, to give you and I who are in the middle of hardship, trouble, persecution, grappling with loss, death, unmet expectation. Things aren't going the way you hoped they were. Failed health. To give you and I rest. There is no reason this morning, beloved, that you and I can't know in a very deep, personal, lasting way the rest of God. In closing, it was important to some of these family members yesterday that Al's daughters and his wife, in his last hour, that they go and let their father know that they would be okay. And back in November, before Al went home to be with the Lord, it was that last day and hospice had come in and the family had been, you know, busy, busy, busy taking care of dad and, and the husband. And, and hospice said, you know, it's not, there's not much more time. Have you let him know? Have you said your goodbyes is the way she phrased it. And in talking with the, the family yesterday and previously, up until that point, they had not, because they weren't at rest. They were trying to keep all things going. And sure enough, it was on the prompting of the hospice gal that they decided to go in and sit down in front of Al and say, Al, we'll be okay. It's all right to go. Perhaps he was hanging on until he heard those words. And it was within 24 hours of that event that he breathed his last breath and entered the presence of God, which is a final and eternal rest, at which point his family were able to rest as well. Are you able this morning to grab hold of the rest of God? 
We're told in Hebrews, there therefore remains a rest for the people of God. Are you anxious? Are you unsettled? Have you come through these doors this morning with still not sure of, of what's up ahead and what's going to happen because of some of the trouble you're in the middle of? Paul tells the Thessalonians and the word of God tells us that God says he wants to give you and I rest who are troubled. When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, he wants to give us that rest today and finally one day when he returns. Oh, this is going to be an exciting book. Paul gets into detail about what will happen when Christ comes. But until then, Jesus isn't saying to you and I, you know, remain anxious until that day. He's saying, no, get a hold of my rest right now. Embrace the trouble and hardship and persecution that is in your life today. Embrace it. Remind the Lord that you are willing to let him grow you change you, fashion you, and shape you so that there's more of his reflection in your life and mine. And that rest will come. Will you join me as we pray? As the worship team is coming, maybe the Lord is putting his finger on something that has troubled you and worried you greatly. Maybe this morning you're reminded of the fact that he heard you when you committed your life to him. And at this very hour, you simply just want to reinvest all of who you are to him. Lord, you know each one of us this morning. And you love us. Oh, such a great truth. So thankful that you love us this morning, Lord. And because you love us, you desire to have your way all the way in our lives. So we ask even now, because you are God, you alone are God. Have your way. Let us leave here today knowing that each and every difficulty, Lord, is handpicked for our lives. That you might have more of yourself seen. And we welcome that, Lord. For you are God alone. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's stand, church.